Hello and welcome to Kiss My Arts. My name is Mary Blake <laughs> and that gets a laugh every time. I'm here um, with Leitrim Daly on the Arts Show and I'm very happy to have Seamus O'Rourke with me today. How are you Seamus? I'm great. You're Thanks. very welcome. Thanks for asking me. Sit down there till I interrogate you as I said. It's, it's great to have you here and you have a new book out. I have. Yeah. This new book that yeah. you've brought yeah. in I'm today. I'm flooding the market with another book, yeah. Fantastic, <laughs> that's it, that's it. And um, tell us, when did you start writing this book? Um, I kind of started uh, during lockdown. Um, I didn't start because of lockdown. I had decided last year to write a book and I had put this summer aside um, because summer's not the busiest time for the likes of me. And I had put the summer aside, and then in March, of course, uh, I had a tour lined up of a play, and all of a sudden it came to a sudden end. So I said, "Well, sure, I can get an early start on this, yes. on the book." And so I, so I had the best lockdown ever. You know, I was locked away in my uh, little man room at home and uh, got stuck in. And and little did I know that writing a book of this size is a marathon compared to the little sprints I would have been doing <laughs> writing plays. Absolutely. Uh, so I found it um, both exhausting and uh, really enjoyable at the same time. It was a very productive way to spend lockdown. Well, it was great. I was just really lucky that I had that to do. Um, and as I said, I had put that time aside. So it's not that I, I was missing out on anything apart from obviously my tour got turned down. But Hopefully that will someday come back. And interestingly, a lot of artists were saying that lockdown, even though they had the time, they really found it hard to, to concentrate because you do have that sense of doom around you as well, a little bit. Yeah, and there's also the worry of, you know, if I do this, what, how am I going to, um, you know, get it out there and what's, what's, what's going to happen? What's the longer, uh, what's the bigger picture? Uh, whereas... It, didn't really bother me and I suppose naively we all thought this will only be a few months anyway and um, uh, standing gaps is there is there is it the obvious reason that we it is anyone that? with any rural links will know that uh, one of your main jobs as a child was to stand in gaps and don't let them buy you that's and it. How often is it? Would that back. be every day? <laughs> every day. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, um, it was just one of the titles that jumped out at me and I wanted to write a book uh, about um, the very ordinariness of growing up in Leitrim. And uh, so that kind of sums it up. And I suppose that would be a lot of people's experience growing up in, in rural Ireland, you know. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Ireland. I think so. And um, a lot of people have said to me, that's a great title because they just remember that. Now, the book's not about standing in gaps, uh, it's, uh, but it's about that growing up. Yes, where we did that experience you know. of, yeah. and you're from Carrigallen I'm from Carrigallen yeah. yes do you have to narrow it down a bit when you're in Carrigallen or can you always say you're from Carrigallen are you well, a I've, bit out the road I have, well I'm out the road I'm, I'm four or five miles out the road and, a, and I'm only from Carrigallen I suppose from I was about 18 or 20 you know where the book ends because before that I, I'm from a place called Drumshangor which is uh, kind of a from Drumila, which is where we have a church and uh, we school. had a, sh a school and a mm. shop. And, and, and that was where we were from. And we didn't really know where Carrigallen was because our world was so small at the time. And, and, uh, and Carrigallen, they were townies in there. <laughs> <you know? laughs> and they're far from townies, really. So it wasn't until we kind of got 
we uh, started growing up and had our own cars. And we started going to town and mm-hmm. whatever. That that's. But um, Carrie Allen was is the parish. Yes. You know, I'm cl- actually actually closer to Newton Gore than. Uh, Carrie Gallon, right. but I always say Carrie Gallon because I played football there, I suppose. Yeah. Okay, and that's a very form. So the farming and the football are very formative things in in your life. They're kind very of much so, yeah. very much made you who you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there was nothing else, um, and uh, there was nothing else. You know, we didn't have it for a long time. Didn't have a television. We had no outside influences. Only few kids at school telling us what was on Blue Peter or you know and we thought that was exotic exotic and mm-hmm. uh, we knocked great fun out of watching the the card that they have on telly before it comes on we would watch that for half an hour and just be in awe when we got Simple our first times. telly yeah yes, and, then, we... and then the clock came on you know which was the countdown. The countdown. You were close. <laughs> I know. And it's amazing because we, I grew up in a one-channel one uh, home as well. And you'd find yourself watching uh, Going Strong and, and, yes. and things that weren't yeah. for you at all. Not but at all, no. You, had to, you couldn't be yeah, doing your yeah. homework. Sonny Knowles and all that. Yeah. <laughs> and even Bosco, even uh, though we were too old, we'd say, this is... Oh, yeah, this yeah. Is well, Wonderly Wagon was our, our big thing. Wonderly of course, Wagon, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm. So, come here... Um, Carrie Gallen, you were fortunate, I'd say, to grow up in a place that really was one of the first places in rural Ireland to have such a theatre, such a beautiful theatre, and such uh, respect for theatre. Yeah, um, one of the things we did every year, uh, although we had uh, we weren't a social family, my dad went. He did all the shopping, so he'd go to town on a Saturday and get the meat and then go for a couple of bottles of beer and then uh, come home with the meat, uh, which yeah. <laughs> which I failed to do as a as a father. When I started going to town, I would have more than two bottles of beer and no meat. Oh, but, no good there at all. <laughs> but one thing we did do was we always went to Carrigallon, to the, which was the Carrigallon Community Players back then. And they were a very in, innovative group at the time. Uh, started uh, there was lots of people involved one of the main people was Father Patsy Young who had an influence on lots of little yes. parishes around, around yes. Leithrop but he was way ahead of his time and so I I remember the magic of going to see those plays and there was a curtain down the back of the hall and behind that curtain was Eamon Daly doing the sound <laughs> and this amazing you know when you think about what he had to do to get sound you had reel to reel and then it was tapes and all sorts of stuff whereas now when I'm doing my sound uh, I love technology but I mean it's just a little flick of a button and you've got all sorts of sounds coming in and on cue and everything but and I suppose we don't need the skills that people like Eamon Daly needed at yeah. that time and, no. the, and the gear and the other thing was the play was supposed to start at nine o'clock and you'd go in at nine o'clock and there'd be nothing only banging and ripping behind the curtain and it was it just added to the magic because you would you kept thinking, what is going to happen when this curtain opens? And when the curtain opened, you had this amazing set because Father Patsy Young was big into sets and all that sort of thing. And I remember plays where they had outdoor scenes and I genuinely thought there was a, a, a breath of fresh air coming off the stage because it was so there was blue skies and clouds moving. And, and it was just... That was, at a very young age, uh, my introduction to theatre uh, and our plays as we call them then and it went on all night and we got a packet of emerald sweets which was a huge thing in our house and my father couldn't understand why we had to eat them all (laughs) 
at once that we couldn't keep them for some for tomorrow, but you couldn't do that. There was four of us. We divided the packet up into four. <laughs> and if there was an extra sweet, we divided the sweet into four. Oh, like nobody could get an extra. Good. Nobody could complain. <laughs> but um, so that I had a real uh, love for theatre, but at, from a from a distance because I was a terribly shy child. Like we were all backward kids, so I never had the uh, uh, wherewithal to try and get involved. And then foot, when I was, you know, a kid, football took over, and that was my whole life for a long time. So I was 25 before I uh, put foot on the stage, and that was only by chance because it was 1989. That's when the theatre in Carrigallon was built. I had access to a van. Everyone knew I had, so they asked me would I bring the... They were after buying a load of second-hand seats for the theatre, and would I go to Drogheda or Dundalk? I'm not sure which. Would I go and collect these seats? So that was my... Um, they were really using me for my... <laughs> like, this is a big lump for lad. Can yes. log stuff around? And he also... He's a carpenter, so maybe he might get involved in the backs, uh, in backstage for the theatre. And I was mad to get involved. And, and Gus Ward, my dear friend and mentor, uh, was directing the play that first year. And there was 35 in it. So they were running short of people... And he said, would you, there's a little tiny little part in this, would you ever uh, do it? And I said, oh, well, sure, give it a try. And I, as I say, I was genuinely um, very shy and I've ne- I'd never really done anything uh, uh, in public before. Apart from, uh, we had a really good uh, Mochran Affirma group, which uh, kind of brought us on a little bit too. But anyway... Uh, when it came to my f- chance to do my bit on stage on the first night, all of a sudden I realised I just loved this. And it was only about five minutes. I had to sing a bit of a song, and it was the most unsubtle performance you'll ever see. As you say, I was a big, strong fella, and I sang at the top of my voice, and I shouted my lines out good and loud. And uh, But when I came off, I knew there was something there that I had to follow up on something was awoken really yeah I, I, it, it was a, a real moment of um uh a light bulb moment i suppose you could call it yeah, yeah. and yeah. and and the, the theater opened on the same night because uh the seats i was bringing was to this new theater and i remember walking into this into the auditorium which had been shaped and and tiered without the seats and i went in and it was like a, a one of these greek uh yeah. Amphitheatres, yeah. and I just went, man, imagine being up there and everybody looking down on you and watching. And when I think back after, you know, one of my loves of, of playing sport was the performance has been on the field and people, you know, admiring you. And saying, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. In my case, they didn't have much to admire, but um, uh, the odd time, you know, it was, it was part of that. It was an opportunity to show what you could y- do. Yeah, yeah. And that's a strange mix, you know, and I'm uh, very often me actors who are actually very shy people but when they get on stage that's their place and they light up and it's brilliant. and that's what happened to me and and the cornmill is is such a beautiful theater it's beautiful yeah it is really beautiful yeah. and everything works so well and that the sound is so good but i think yeah. what's really amazing about the cornmill is the fact that it's so community the community really have have um access can can use it and avail of it and feel ownership over it yeah and with there was a few times over the last 20 uh what are we talking about now we're talking about 
89, 90, mm. 90. So we're talking about 30 years. God, I'm getting old. Um, so uh, there have been a few times when we've had uh, paid managers and uh, and it's became a kind of going down that professional route. But at, at the moment, it's very much uh, ran within the community and it's all, everyone's doing their bit on a, on an amateur level or on a, uh, nobody's getting paid. And I think that's, in a way, that's really good because, as you say, everyone feels that they're part of it and nobody's above it and we're all in it. And I love playing there and I don't, you know, uh, people keep using this word professional, but for me, I'm just doing a show with Carrie Gallen and yes. just... And it has that very traditional feel about it with the chairs and, and the curtains and the big stage and, and, and you yeah. know, and it, it's just, you've great people working there. Yeah, you know. and, and I have to say, you know, one of the um, designers uh, of the theatre, Cahill Farley, who's a lovely pub down there at sure. the moment, like he put a lot of thought into how the theatre should be, uh, how it should feel and how uh, and the acoustics and all that there was a lot of thought it wasn't just by chance no. he brought in people who who had been involved in designing theatres before so um, th- there's a very natural uh, um, place there for for theatre and we don't always get it right on stage but but it is the, the venue itself is and it's ama- I remember going there around 20 years ago the kids are small and it was something I suppose Maura Williamson had been involved with mm. f- I don't know some kind of show and it was Brian O'Reilly was there as um, MC mm. and so he had the ticket yeah. and he was great and then as we were watching this it was very professional looking and the kids come on and he'd come on he'd very formally introduced the next one and then he came on after one act and he said here and she'd have caught the mother <laughs> and it made me really realize yeah. Carrie Gallon people uh, are doing this and their mothers did it and their kids yeah. and their grandkids will do it and yeah. there isn't the, although it's very much respected it's not a, r- revered in, in such a way they're sitting there and they're munching their sweets and they're enjoying yeah. it and they're, yeah. they're and nobody taking themselves too seriously yeah. because that's uh, you'd be, you wouldn't want to you'd be cut down Absolutely. <laughs> and come here you're a Cavan man now, Seamus. Oh, yeah. Um, I am, yeah. No, uh, <laughs> of course, we grew up beside Cavan. Yes. You know, um, uh, we're only a, a mile from Cavan, and we're a mile from, or a couple of miles, a few miles from Longford as well. Uh, and when we were growing up, we always went Cavan direction because there was, uh, going back to the football, there was no foot, there was no team in Carrigallon at the time. So my dad uh, was. Always, him and his mates, him and his friends, they always went to see Cavan football. So we'd go to Breffney Park or we'd go to Ulster Finals. And I, so that was the, the direction we always went. So there was a kind of a, uh, a, a leaning towards Cavan. Now, as I got older, of course, I developed the same uh, passion against Cavan, you know, when we played them in football matches and, and there was that great uh, rivalry. So, um, but I also worked... In, uh, a lot from home as a carpenter years ago and I did a lot of work around West Cavan and I have great respect for Cavan people but I am very definitely yeah, a litre man. Even though the ad for the Cavan Cola yeah. was a bit... Now, we, had, we knew the Diet Coke man who used to um, wash the windows. Oh, right, yeah, Remember yeah. Remember that? Oh, ad? yes, yes. And well, you see, so you're the answer to... Yeah, and, and there, is a, there is a section where I took off my shirt um, and showed my ribbed uh, frame... But funnily enough, it ended up on the cutting room floor. Oh, no. Yeah. I don't know what it was now. It's, maybe people didn't want to They'll see... they keep it for the Maybe they didn't want to see Diddy's uh, in, <laughs> a, in a cabin cola. I don't know. 
But um, we, I've done a lot of work with Pori Connolly, who shot the ad, and uh, I seem to be his, um, his go-to man when he's looking for a, a farmer. I have the old farmer's head on me, and, and the farmer's walk, and the farmer's gimp. Oh, and, and I was accused a long time ago when I said, I was in Galway one time as a young fella, I was still an amateur actor, but uh, there was young ones about, and I was uh, after doing a, I thought I was after doing a great job uh, in some play, and there was these young women about, and they asked me uh, where I was from and what what I did, and I was chancing my arm, and I said, oh, well, I'm an actor. And they looked at me, and they said, you look more like a farmer than an actor, and they were right. There so, you go. so I had to embrace the whole f- uh, looking like a farmer. Now, I'm not a farmer. I've played lots of farmers. Uh, lots of farmers, yeah. yeah. And, and the thing about it is, at least I know what I'm doing is fairly authentic. It's the worst thing to see uh, an actor playing a farmer and he doesn't have the gimp of, of you know. Or, uh, you know uh, he never stood in the gap. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So you have a company, Big Gorilla. Yeah. And where did you get the name? Not very busy at the moment, I would I, say. Well, I'd be surprised if you were, yeah. Big Gorilla <laughs> Productions comes from the day we were playing uh, years ago. I was near the end of my football career. We were playing uh, Drum Kieran in a match. And I had um, I was carrying a little bit of excess experience, uh, filling out my togs great. Nice. And some young fella came on... <laughs> from Kieran and I happened to run into him now he must have been going in my direction because I wouldn't have been quick enough to catch him but anyway I, I ran into him and the poor fella uh, he, he collapsed to the ground and uh, there was a huge um, the game had to be stopped and they brought out all sorts of medics now there was no medics but people who had water and Sidon and they poured it on his head and done all sorts but there was a very a man everyone will know who he is was standing at the at the goalposts uh, I had a bit of a beard on at the time I was getting ready for some play but this man roared out and he said Rourke he said would somebody put that big gorilla back in his cage and so uh, so when I came to <laughs> deciding for a name uh, for the theatre uh, company I decided big gorilla I, I spelt gorilla a bit different as in gorilla warfare yes. as in going to a place at night and setting up and surprising everybody. and Which is uh, exactly what you've been doing. Yeah. And what I thought, think is interesting, because we've seen your plays in theatres and also in, in community halls, yeah. like Leitrim Village, where I live. And I remember seeing your plays there and looking around the audience, and I said, I never, there's people here I never saw in a theatre. Yeah. But there's something about coming to their own hall. Yeah. That they would do. And I don't know why, because they just, you know, they could just come in in the road to Carrick and Shannon and see it in yeah. the theatre. And some would argue, and they would have the proper seats and they would have the, yeah. the, the professional setup and all the mm. rest. But people like the, I suppose, the mountain coming to Muhammad. Yeah, and it's, it's, not a, it's nothing new. I mean, the, um, the fit-ups were a big thing back years ago and, and McMaster's uh, fit-ups and Harold Pinter performed in Mohol back years ago in a fit-up, uh, McMaster's fit-ups. Uh, so it's, it's nothing new. And I, when I started out uh, naively, I be, you know, decided to go full-time acting, and I, and I began to think, sure, who, where, who's going to give me a job? Like, I'm going to be a long time waiting on a phone call. So I decided, well, I'll, I'll uh, get my own stuff together and, and tour it and see, see what happens. And, and in 
the beginning, a lot of the places I went were football clubs and it suited them. It was a fundraiser and they could sell the show um, and I just had all the gear and I went and I set up the set up for the show and did the play and, and, and I had a full house. And and I was I was rehearsing the play in Dublin at at some time early on when I had started my company and I was chatting to a, uh, Ian Lloyd Anderson who's a done great things for himself at the, um, in on uh, all sorts of shows. But he was doing a show in the Peacock at the time, and it was a Tuesday night, and we went in for rehearsal, and I, he's, and I had done a show in somewhere in uh, Cavan or Leitrim at the time, the same night. And, and I said, how did you get on last night? He said, oh, yeah, it was 25 at the play in the Peacock in Dublin. And he said, you were doing a show as well. And I said, yeah, there was 350 at our oh show. You know? <laughs> in a hall. So I'm not, I forget where it was. but And the strange thing is, you were right. Those people would not go to uh, the dock or they wouldn't go to the Rammer Theatre in, in Virginia. Um, but they'll go to support their own. And, and I very quickly realised that this was not... Uh, in, in case I got run away with my own importance, this was not about me and about my show, although I'd like to think it added to the night and that people uh, identified with what I was doing and that they enjoyed it. But it was more about the whole social occasion of people coming out, meeting their neighbours and their friends, which is, uh, it's become a lot, uh, it's, it's, it, it doesn't happen as often anymore. Uh, and they had a great night. And, you know, we're notorious in the theatre for uh, hanging around waiting for people to come up and hug you and tell you how wonderful your show is. But when the show is over in these venues, there's a mad rush to get the chairs stacked up for indoor soccer the next night. And it's a great... I I really love it because it, there's no well, bullshit. It's all just straightforward people, community people coming out, having a great night, having a cup of tea at halftime. There's a raffle that goes on for about two hours that you're trying to... You're mad to get taken down your set and get away home for a pint, maybe. Uh, and this, uh, and even to the extent we... There is a place, I'll not name it, but where the priest gets up and says a few prayers after the show, especially if there's a lot of bad language, he'll uh, kind of cleanse, cleanse everyone before. <laughs> so, and it's, it's, it's such a... Uh, a, a drawback to the old days, like when people went out for a good night and With the travelling show, and yeah, 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 and yeah. a cup of tea and a bun, and there's no alcohol involved, or it's just socially uh, a great night out. And I think that it, we're seeing more now since, even with the, these new art centres that have come, thankfully, come around the country over the last ten years or twenty years. Um, they're smaller, they're smaller stage. So the day of the big set. Yeah. on the road is really <clears throat> gone yeah. and um, I see the likes of Fish Amble and Pat Kinnevin these, and they nearly come in with a bag yeah. and set up a few things yeah. and that'll be it and it's enough it, it, you know so often the audience can fill the gaps yeah and I've seen you bring that to a whole new level when you're doing indigestion <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I said, what is he that big van for at all? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 because yeah. all you had was one or two. Well, no, a concrete block. That was a it. concrete um, block. Yeah, yeah. I know. Um, I, I, uh, sometimes I kind of apologise for uh, being so sparse with setting, but then uh, I, I have to look very strongly at the play and say, what do I really need to tell the story? Because... 
you know, we, we, we keep talking about drama and theatre, but really what I'm doing a lot of the time is just storytelling and, and how to... So how to tell your story as simply as possible. And as you say, let people fill in the blanks because you have to give people credit for uh, an imagination, you know. And, uh, and people really love when you ask them to come along with you on a, on a story, in a story. And, and, and they know where you are. I mean, I had another play, Porik Potts Guide to Walk, and it's just a load of boxes yeah. stacked on top of each other. But people were kind of thrilled with themselves for knowing that, oh, you've created a little pub there and you've created this. And, yes. um, because it's all part of uh, the writing, the acting, the directing, but mm, the most important aspect of theatre is the audience. And I think they deserve all our respect yes. as opposed to... Uh, looking down your nose at them and saying look at what I'm doing isn't it wonderful and I think that is exactly what you're doing you're you're really um understand your audience uh, and you're not patronizing them and mm. you're you're I suppose there was a time when we thought theater was for other people who were smarter than us and yeah. Yeah. now we realize that all f- that the arts is really far Every one of us, every one yes. of us knows what music we like and yeah. what makes us laugh and what yes. makes us cry. Yeah. And I think it's, yeah. you know, it's something that... And we have to take away that whole thing of Emperor's New Clothes, you know, if you either like it or you don't. And, yeah. and, and if I go to something and don't understand it, uh, and, I've, and it has happened, and I don't, uh, I say, well, you know, I, I'm not uh, stupid. It's just I didn't see what the big... Hullabaloo yeah. was about, and I'm sorry, but I didn't yeah. get it. You know, uh, it doesn't happen very often. But, no, but, but sometimes there's more style over substance in yes, a thing. Yes, yeah. And yeah. it can be beautiful, and it can be impressive, but it leaves you away. You, you don't come away thinking. Or yeah, and sometimes as actors, we, we, we tend to show off our acting skills as opposed to telling the story, you know, which is... Um, uh, I get a little bit annoyed at that sometimes when I see, you know, you see people almost doing backflips on stage trying to tell a very simple story and all you want is the heart of it. And sometimes that's the bit that we miss out on and we, we do all the loops rather than go to the emotional Exactly, side of it. and we don't have to be so very clever about it. Yeah. We can be simple about it. And I think um, your characters are... Does the character come first when you're writing yeah, a piece? Yeah. Totally. It's always the character. Yeah. And the rest nearly writes itself, does it? Or does yeah. it, do you well, have to keep I think the it character and, and the setting for a strange... Because um, it's really important in a play. I like to write stuff that you don't have to be, become too um, phony about bringing it from one place to another. So I, I love to find a place where you could actually play the whole play in the one place. So Which means that 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 the play there's something within this uh place that can hold them there for for an hour or whatever you know what i mean mm. so there's partly um but ma- mostly character yes uh but just going back to talking about act uh, you wouldn't want to be too um uh, dependent on on uh, uh, expecting people to say lovely things but I was doing a new play a few years ago uh, and I was really interested to hear what people might say and uh, you know give me some feedback and and it was I was going out a little bit away from my comfort zone with the play and when I was finished the play a man came to me and he said you didn't sweat as much in this play as you did in the last one <laughs> was that a good thing or a bad thing 
I don't know. Did he want a pound of flesh? I don't know. I don't. I just and I. I wasn't very pleased at the time, but um, I can see. Uh, I know. But people do like to see you putting yourself out. You know, especially Aye. country people like to see you sweating a bit. You work. Yeah. They've had the yeah, tenor yeah. and they no, want I, to I see. I overdo it by times. You know, uh, there's a lot of. Um, certainly, I won't be allowed back too quick after COVID because the sweating and the spitting and the... It's yeah, not encouraged. You'd have to put up a glass screen in front of me, I'm afraid. <laughs> I know, I know. Year. Blood, sweat and tears. Um, but, yeah, uh, going back to the, the, the characters, uh, one you mentioned the play there, um, uh, Indigestion. And that came about, I met a fella at a wedding, um, a friend of mine got married, and I met this fella at the bar, and this guy didn't know who I was or, you know, so there was no... He wasn't trying to tell me a, a story so that I might use it. And you get a lot of that. People say, oh, I have a great story for you. And then you go, well, that's not that great a story. Mm. But anyway, uh, this guy started to talk. And I was just, he was a big man like me. And, uh, and he just was so matter-of-fact about what he was talking about. And he had been to England. And, uh, and I just was fascinated with his character. And I said, there's a character that could tell any story, you know, because... We are a wonderful nation of storytellers, uh, and they're everywhere. They're not all on stage. You know, I know the best storytellers I know are just fellas who just are, you meet them in a pub or at a football match, and they'll tell you a yarn, and, and it, it, you're just riveted, because it's a natural, it's an Irish, I'd like to think it's an Irish thing. I'd like to think it was developed around the time where I've, the books set back in my, when we had Kayliers, or we called them Kayliers, people who came every night, and, and we passed around stories and with nothing else to do. Yes. Uh, and, and they were valuable people. They were people that were, um, I suppose, in our history. The, the, uh, you know, my father would talk about, geez, a man would come down and it would be great because you'd know he'd have a bit of crack. That's and, right. and you'd nearly all sit around and listen to him. Uh, yeah. unfold this old yes. story half it could have been made up I suppose but you yeah. know it was entertainment for people but it was also company and there's no you know we've, we've replaced a lot of things with social media now but you know it's also I'm talking about a time where people would come down their very long lanes uh, be, these would be bachelors maybe and sit along the road for three or four hours someone might be coming from town with a bit of news and they'd have a chat and that's that was their day and that was their social media uh, you know th that was their interaction with the world because otherwise they were stuck in their house and they didn't have um, a television or a radio or whatever it was so we used every excuse to go a Cayley as I call it yes. um, it's called different things all over the place but uh, my father <laughs> again it's in the book my father used to cut hair uh, around uh, he, he was a kind of a handyman. So a lot of people used to come to get their hair cut for free. To your house? Yeah. Now, he was the worst man cutting hair ever. Uh, but, but he had the scissors. But he had the scissors. And he also had the little um, the hand uh, clippers. Uh, and he had a, a, a towel that he would throw around. And he drew blood. Uh, he did nick a few ears in his time. But, but this, because... It was an excuse for people to come and there'd be stories told and, and they'd tell stories and he'd tell stories. And another neighbour of ours who uh, has appeared in, a, in the, he appears in the book, but he appears in the play as well. He used to come down to get his clock wound because, you know, his mother showed his brother how to wind the clock, but she never showed him. That was his excuse. And he'd come down with the clock? Every evening, yeah, to get it wound. 
Oh, God, who was he whining about? I mean, isn't that good value? Isn't it brilliant, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's gold, really. Yes. And that's his way. It'd be easier for him to come down at the clock than to come down and say, do you know, I'm a bit bored or I'm a bit lonely, anybody? Yeah, yeah. You know, and that time, it was a prop. That time people would, you know, you'd be, we'd be all out doing, working on, on the farm and you'd go into the house and there'd be a neighbour sitting there. They'd have come down, the door was open. You know, people come to your house now uh, and you kind of, you're going, what do you want? Or, you know, how long are you going to stay? Or is yeah, this... EastEnders is starting now. Yeah, and, and, and we all have this in, inbuilt thing. You know, if we don't look at our phone every 10 minutes, there could be an email from the president saying that we have just won a Nobel Peace Prize, and you don't want to miss that. No, it's um, madness. It is. And, I've, yeah. I, I, and I'm as bad as anybody, you know. You, you get really annoyed, and, mm. and you're chatting to somebody, and your phone, ding, and you go... And all of a sudden you switch off and certain people uh, um, in my life will say, oh, there you go again, I've lost you. Because I they have. Know. Yeah, and it's terrible. It is terrible. We've all let it slip in. And, yeah. and you know, our generation yeah. as well as our children's, you know, we have found ourselves yeah. a slave to it. Yeah, and it's, and I mean, I'm, I, in, in some ways social media has made me... Uh, the fact that I can do stuff online and do it on YouTube has got me an audience that I would never have got. Um, yes. So there's there's lots of ups, lots of yeah. pluses to it, um, and there are lots of negatives. And it's 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 like every good tool, you have to be careful. And if you use it well, it'll work. But you could also cut yourself with it. So. Absolutely, because you used YouTube really from early on in your in your career. You've been putting the stuff up. Yeah, happen, it happened by accident, but um, I was asked to do something for a GA website and I had no way of, I tried to send the piece about Leitrim going to Crow Park, I mm. tried to send it via email and I realised I couldn't send it and they said put it up on YouTube and I hadn't, that's 10 or 15 years ago, nice. I'd never put anything up on YouTube, so... And then all of a sudden, a week later, there was 50,000 hits on it. And I went, oh, right, so this is the way it works. You know? It was a, it, yeah. it really took I mean, off. The other thing is, at the same time, you can put something up and you get 100 people will watch it and that'll be it. Yes. And you go, ooh, right. But it's a great barometer for you to know what's, what's working and what's yeah. not. Because you you've must have a million hits now on, on YouTube. which A is couple of million, actually, yeah. And I don't mean way. to. Yes, yeah. Um, with different stuff, yeah. Which is unbelievable. It is, it's mad. And I'd say a lot of them are watching it again and again. People do go back to most it. I'm not saying... Most of them are me, actually. <laughs> a million of yourself. We'll get to the bottom of it yet. But it, I, a lot people do... Um, do watch your stuff more than once as well. They, they, they do, character, yeah, and yeah. they send it. It's a great one for being seen. And then shared. I meet, I meet mad, like it's mad to meet, uh, meet people. You go to do a show and you meet this couple, you know. And we were watching you the other night in bed, and I go, God, have you nothing better to do in bed than watch me? I you know, know. <laughs> isn't it amazing? And some of your characters, I love Massey Flood. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God, he's yeah. so funny. And there's some of them like Longford Tourism um, ones and yeah, Stan yeah, the Wetfield. Yeah, and it's just where did he come from? Longford, of course. Well, you wouldn't get uh, him in Leitrim. There was a, no, you wouldn't. No, no. There's a uh, Longford. Uh, I mean, I have great affection for Cavan and Longford, and you know, we're, we're all the ones I was little anyway, um, but. Uh, there was a, there was some survey done a few years ago, and it said that Longford was the least desirable place in Ireland to live. You know, uh, which is a bit funny because it's no different to Leitrim. It's a bit harsh, yeah. Yeah, and I remember waking up 
because it was on, I was just, I know lots of Longford people and it was a kind of, ah, you're, you're going to take a while to get over this, you know, the stigma of being the least desirable place to live because it's usually Leithrum and we've kind of, we're kind of a hipster place now, Leithrum. Uh, I know, who knew? Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> here we are. Yeah. Here we yeah. Are. But, um, but the next morning I woke up and it was the most horrible, miserable morning uh, and I looked out and there was mist and we've, the land around me is terrible, rushy fields and whatever. And I just had this idea of, you know, coming up with a character saying, you know, that Longford isn't the most... And, and I just thought of what is the most un... Uh, the, the, the most uh, boring story you could tell. And then I tried to think of what name will I give him and all that. So it, it all happened really quickly. And I went out with a tripod and a camera and I stuck it in the field about nine o'clock on a Saturday morning. And I, I just... Uh, went for it and uh, and they're always the best ones you and know? did you was that nearly improv you know, kind of kind and I'm of not I don't usually do that like I mm. usually am very scripted um, but it was I kind of knew what I wanted to say and, and I wanted to uh, I didn't I wasn't too worried if he got a little bit mixed up in the story because that's the way it works that's anyway. the beauty of it and the funny thing is I was half my mother's a great woman to tell stories She's not a great storyteller because they go on and on and she has to go into every detail and she'd tell you, now, he was wearing a green jumper and where there's a green, kind of a green that you... And she'd start looking around the room for... Something so anyway, I was... Uh, it, the, the Mossy Flood thing, uh, the Longford tourism took off, so I, I showed it to my mother. And she said, oh, that's very like the day we were at Mass and the wasp came in and your brother, Kevin, he was asleep and the wasp... And she told me the very same story in a, in, a, in a sense, you know. And I said, well, there you go. That's there you go. <laughs> and it is, I, I think he's just gas. He yeah. really is. You direct, do you direct your own plays? Sometimes. Yeah. And sometimes not, yeah. You had Barbara McKeeve in with you, didn't yeah. you? Yeah. For, yeah. What was that for? Was that for Auntie? And Auntie, my Aunt B. Aunt yeah, B yeah. yeah. And I had her for, uh, I did a play called... Um, from under the bed about That's two right. bachelors and she directed that she directed that yeah where did the two bachelors come from that was a great that's the, that's that's the man that used to come to the house to uh, get the clock one get the clock one yeah and they um they him and his brother lived uh in a little cottage beside us the cottage is still there they had no light or uh the chimney was blocked uh the smoke went out the door um and they didn't talk to each other and the yes the put on a, a they made the dinner and one of them met off one side of the pan and the other fell out off the other side. And uh, Eugene, who was the uh, main character in the play, I suppose, um, he was a few weeks uh, dead before anyone found him. Uh, because they were always in town or, or you mightn't see them for weeks. And, and, um, and when we went, uh, we eventually, a few neighbours, we decided there's something wrong here and we got into that. It wasn't hard to get into the house, but... He was lying on a bed with only three legs, so he was a kind of lopsided, and uh, it was just such a sad end to uh, um, to a life that, I mean, in some ways it was very small, but it was such a colourful, they were such colourful characters, and uh, we had great fun with them. And So I, I suppose it was a lesson for me to uh, make sure that when you're living your life, you live it to the yeah. fullest of your... And even you know. characters like that that you portrayed in the play, there was a fierce love. 
that they didn't even acknowledge or anything, and there was they could kill course, other. Yeah, and yeah. you know, and, I, and we used our vocabulary in in rural Ireland has been was was very um, uh, muted. You know, we didn't use things called love, and we didn't say uh, that's my best friend, or no. you know, we didn't we we. we um, and we, we hated the Americans because they're all sh- shaking hands and hugging and, and showing affection. And we didn't like that. Um, we, well, uh, we didn't think it was terribly sincere either. Exactly. Well, I think that's more important, yeah. you know. And, and I always talk about um, my mother and father's relationship and they loved each other to bits, you know. Um, but they never showed any of these. There was no cuggling and uh, no. hugging and rubbing. And <laughs> no. <laughs> and when my father, uh, he, had, he had cancer on, on his... Um, his last breaths, uh, he, he, he was sitting out um, on a Sunday night and he put his hand out to my mother and he said, I'm away, best of luck. And he shook hands with her and he died. Imagine. Yeah. I know, isn't that amazing? It's a, it's, but yeah. you couldn't dispute their love. Not at all. And the no. sincerity of oh, it. Totally, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's something that, um, um, what kind of an egot are you? You know, you do talk about that. And, and I think we do see past the, the, initially you'd look at it and you'd see the hurt. Um, but I think we all see past it and identify with it and say, yeah. They, they had some way of not wanting you to get notions and, and yeah. smarten yeah. up and do better. The strange thing was a lot of those poems that, were, that I wrote, and they were written when I was in my 20s, when I was having a, a kind of a difficult time with, you were, you were mad with your father for never giving you any credit for anything and he was always rubbing in that the fella down the road had a really good after buying a new van and you're driving around in a heap of scrap or whatever it is and there was always little rubs and and all it was I suppose was he was trying to you know push you on a little bit but it when you're young it goes the wrong way so a, a lot of stuff that I started to write I was writing with real anger and then as you start as you write you start to see the funny side of it as well and then that the humour enters and and then you see the heart of it too and, yeah. and um all that old guff was only that i have to say one of the nicest things of uh, i give my book it's, it's out it's on release now but I, I i give it a few people um when i when it when i got the copies printed first and uh, one man i gave it to and he rang me up a week later and he said you know he was delighted with the book and but he said it's a love story and i went and he said, it's a love of the people and the place and the time. And that, to me, was the best compliment I could, uh, could get. Because that's what, it, that's what it is, really. Is, is, uh, and, and people have mentioned that word, affection. You know, I, I just... There's, uh, maybe I'm getting old and soft, but I, I just have this real affection for those people and, and the straightforwardness of them and the, and the simplicity, which is is great mm-hmm. and 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 uh, and we didn't have time for that new, almost new thing that's happening now which is depression which is you know such a serious matter and i i, I um thankfully have never um suffered from from any of those mental illnesses in in a big way but i can understand where where that can come from so i'm a kind of all the more reason to celebrate the time when, you know, we didn't have, it was a kind of, it wasn't set up so much for, it was set up more for survival than yes. uh, thinking, overthinking situations. But I can, 
easily see how... Yes. how and, but, but now I think we recognise it more. The thing is, there is help out there, so we, we need to make, make, take away any stigma involved yes. uh, with mental health. But I'm just saying that... Uh, and I'm not saying that there was no mental health issues back then, but, but, but there was a, a... It was a very simplistic way of life we had and, yes. and it was very much getting from day to day. So Camille, your book is out now. It's called Standing in Gaps and it's a memoir and it brings us from your early childhood it brings me to before. where it, <laughs> it doesn't bring you to today. No, it does not. No, no, no there's another one in you. No, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I didn't. There, I didn't know where this book was going to bring me and I didn't. I just knew I knew where I was going to start, which was at the very uh, because there's a, a very true, strange story to, at my my mother's. Uh, it's the first chapter. My mother uh, was expecting me. She was. Uh, my father decided to bring the car into Brewster's garage to get it serviced, so that he'd be ready to bring her to Manor Hamilton. Because I was the first of our house to be born in a hospital, and my auntie Peggy was working as a midwife in in Manor Hamilton Hospital, and uh, so. The day after he brought the car in for the, uh, <laughs> in for the service, um, my mother's waters broke and she was ready to go. And he had no car. So he went up the road to his cousin, uh, Christy Mimna, and they uh, headed off. And they brought my mother and Christy's uh, sister for company for my mother. And by the time they got to Manor Hamilton, she, the pains had eased and she was fine. So my father decided to bring Christy into the pub to treat him for giving us the lift, you know, and to have that done. So they went into the pub, my father and Christy went in. Above in Manor Hamilton. Above in Manor Hamilton. And they sat in and had a couple of bottles of beer. And Mammy and, and <laughs> this other Peggy, uh, not my aunt, uh, they sat in the back of the car waiting for the men. Now, they were quite happy. And so that was the... That Wasn't, was, weren't they queer women? Oh, I'll tell you. My God. Yeah, when men were men. Huh? I know. <laughs> and women were patient, maybe, to be doing that, because I can't imagine it happening No, now. I can't imagine and, the ones now. And you were telling me your mom then, you found an old cardigan from... Yeah, from my, my, um, from my uh, first communion. Yes. Yeah. And, and that the, was a cardigan your mother had knitted. She was yeah, a great yeah, knitter. She was a big knitter, yeah, yeah. She, and she was milking 11 cows a day by hand at the time. And knitting one. this as, as, a, as an income? Yes. yes. No, obviously, she had to do the cardigan for nothing, but uh, ah, yeah, she was yeah. knitting for a company down in Donegal, yeah. Yeah. I've dedicated the... Uh, the fun, strange thing is most of the stuff I've written over the years has been about my dad, and, and he mm. features obviously a lot in the book, but I've, my mother features a lot in it too, but it's really about all the work she was doing. God bless us, she was, you know, were, women. those women were mighty, uh, uh, wonderful. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I was saying to somebody I was coming in to talk to you today, and he said, he's, uh, he's like what Patrick Kavanagh would have been if he was better crack. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was a nice one. Patrick Kavanagh, but he a bit grumpy. more crack. Pa- Patrick, so, Camille, yeah. we can get your book, Standing in Gaps, Seamus' work as a memoir, the first 18 years of your life. Uh, yes. Yeah. So when I started to write, I realised that I was very happy writing about those early, very early mm. years. And obviously, um, I can't be sure of ev- all the details, but there was some. I mean, we're talking about night from 1965. I was born in 1965, so uh, it was a very strange place at the time, and just uh, mm. so I was really comfortable writing about all that yeah. time, and then right up until my very short. 
uh, time at school. You know, I left mm. school when I was 15. So you um, had enough learned. I had enough learned. Now I had uh, yes. they couldn't teach me anymore. Poor yes. Eamon Daly has had his hair pulled out. He had lovely know. long hair when I met him first. I go away. Now he's as bald as a goose. Oh no, that's Poor all man. on you. <laughs> that's me. That's all on <laughs> and you. And Paul Williams. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and Kevin McManus. <laughs> yeah. He yes, he all tortured him one at a time. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. great. He was a wonderful so man and a wonderful, a wonderful, I had a wonderful time at school. It that's wasn't for you, but the book anyway. So you're still, no matter finishing school or not finishing school, you've two books. You've a lock of poems, recitations, and goodens, and that's a little book of his um, of Seamus's poetry. And recitations and goodens. And goodens. <laughs> exactly what it says on the table. Yeah. <laughs> and um, then this beautifully uh, published book, um, Standing in Gaps, um, it's available on hardback as well from the website. So if you want to order the book from Seamus's website, SeamusO'Rourke.com, and um, you can just order that and pay on PayPal or Stripe or whatever. You can also buy it in Masterson's in Carrigallen and the post office in Carrigallen and the Reading Room and Mulvey's in Carrick and Shannon and all good bookshops, independent if possible, of course. And um, no launch, really, because of... Ah, sure, there'll be no launch. No, no, but um, I'm, yeah, I'm quite happy with that because yeah. I never know what to say at <laughs> launch. You know? There you go. It's there in you the go. book. It's in the book. <laughs> Read the Read book. The book. Yeah, yeah. So if you want to get that book sent to you, Seamus can send it off. It's also on, a, um, on an uh, audio download. So if yeah. you want to hear it. Which is interesting. Seamus was saying that um, a lot of people like, like the idea of listening to it. So it's on an audible called Awe Sound. Awe Sound, yeah. Is that a W A W E sound. A- oh, yeah. sound. Oh, sound yeah. And um, you are, you can also get the CDs. Anyone who has a CD player, they're very CD rare. CD player. <laughs> so if you have CD player and you want to listen to this in the car, you, there's seven CDs and they've all got beautiful pictures on it, and um, that that really suited. So that'll be something nice for people who are travelling and have a CD player. So get on Seamus's. Um, PayPal account there on his website, Seamus O'Rourke. It's been a pleasure to have you here today and to meet you and to chat to you. you I am very lucky to have the opportunity to chat to interesting people and um, grab them for an hour of their time. We've gone way over time, but I don't think anybody (laughs) will mind. So thank you very much. Is there anybody else you want to... Anything else you need to add? Hey for sale. Yeah. What's that? <laughs> hay for sale. Hay for sale on the website. Oh, oh yeah. You post it. The farmers yeah. always say if you get a chance, you know, put up your ad for oh, hay away. for sale. Hay for sale. Yeah. So, lads, you heard it here. Hay for sale. And Seamus, thank you very much. And best of luck with the book. Uh, really looking forward to it. Thank you, Mary. Thanks for coming in.